This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Brian, I'm okay with admitting that it was at one point because right now I have John Carlson. So I, it's hosted by at least one guy who has John Carlson in two of his pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's been so nice, by the way. Can I just say to listen to Ben and Lewis's sultry voices and accents over the course of the week, keeping us up to date on all the stuff that happens between Sundays that, you know, we don't always get to talk about right when it's hot off the presses. So Ben and Lewis crushing it on short shifts Wednesday and Friday mornings. But Elon, you know that you and I are hopefully here to do our mega show crushing, pumped to be here. So much to talk about. Oh yeah, we got a big show today, though it was kind of interesting prepping for today because yeah, great job, Ben and Lewis on the short shifts. And listeners, let us know if you liked it. We'd love to get your feedback. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Share your praise for Ben and Lewis. And uh, yeah, but the, the interesting thing is then they've talked about all this stuff. So then when I was going to prep today, I was like, well, okay, they already kind of covered the Tory Krug injury. They've kind of covered Crosby out. So I had to be creative, but I think I've got a really good list of players, Brian, for us to talk about before, of course, we get into that. Let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the number one fantasy hockey website out there. I use it every day to read the ramblings, get up to date with everything going on, make sure I haven't missed anything. Then you've got all the tools at Frozen Tools, line combinations, starting goalies, and just the articles in general. So good, including one by our very own Ben Burnett just today, the Geek of the Week, How uh, Jean-Gabriel Page How, basically, an article about Pajot and his amazing run that he's went on. So if you want to learn more about if you think Ben thinks that Pajot can keep it up, you can go and read that article over at DauberHockey.com. Brian, how about one more piece of promotion? Yeah, Ben and Lewis, they're great. Did you listen to Dave Benton's stream scheme today? <laughs> it was so good. I definitely recommend... I, I'm not letting you answer because I think I know the answer, but Brian's a busy guy. He's got a kid. Uh, you I'm know. going to listen. I go on walks with the baby. I'm going to listen tomorrow. But Elon, let's get to... like We know it's all awesome. We'll leave the links in the show notes. You should Everyone should listen to every podcast we put out ever. 
Okay, well, okay, so fine. I'll, we'll get to our stuff, and at some point during the show, Brian, I'd like to just go over all the great stuff that's out there for people to listen to. I really like okay. the stream scheme this week. You could uh, The link's in the show notes. Okay, Brian, let's get started. I want to just kind of do a whole episode talking about some players who are hot, some players who are cold. You know, I'll squeeze in some injuries and outjuries, but I just, just think we have a lot of players we really need to start hammering down. Is this guy for real, or is he not? And then, of course, we'll have some of our streamers as we go through. We had a question from patron Andy McFarlane. I want to start with this. He wanted to ask about Andrei Svechnikov over in Carolina. He asked, is Svechnikov this real? I really like him, but is he a sell-high guy right now or a keeper for years to come? And, you know, I looked at it and it's like, I just want to say like, yeah, he's real. He's great. But this guy is doing so well that I want to know, Brian, if you think Svechnikov is as good. Just like McFarlane, Andy, is asking, is he as good as he seems right now? His goal versus Minnesota yesterday brought him to three goals and four assists in his last four games, 22 points in 20 games on the season. So Svechnikov is just crushing it on the stat sheet. Also, it looks like the Canes have abandoned the whole even lines. Remember, they were having a really evenly spread out top nine at the start of the season where all the lines were threats. Right now, they've been going with a stacked top line, Aho, Teravainen, Svechnikov, and also a clear top power play that gets the majority of the power play time. Aho, Teravainen, Haula, Dougie Hamilton, who we'll get to in a little bit because he also has 22 points in 20 games, uh, and Svechnikov. So Svechnikov is getting the best deployment. He's getting a ton of points. Points. And so, yeah, to re-say Andy's question, I don't think anyone is surprised that Sveshnikov is built on his 37-point rookie season. He was second overall for a reason. I saw many projections going into the season for Sveshnikov to hit, say, 60 points, maybe 70. But I don't think anyone was projecting him for the 90-point pace that he's on right now. So, Brian, yeah, how for real is this? Like, as only a 19-year-old, my assumption would be that Sveshnikov should only get better as he gets into his prime years. So is this someone who's going to keep up at least a point-per-game pace this season and who should go in, like, the top round or two in drafts next year? Or do you expect this to start slowing down soon? You know, Elon, I think Andrei Svechnikov, what he's doing now is very, very nearly for real. That's to say, I don't know that 90 points is in the cards for Svechnikov this year, but it seems like an easy call to make that Svechnikov is about to put up the best season of any 19-year-old since Patrick Liney's 70 points in 1718, which, by the way, no other 19-year-old had touched since Steven Stamkos scored 95 points as a 19-year-old 10 years ago in 2009-2010. I'm very much feeling a point-per-game pace for 19-year-old Andrei Svechnikov this year, and his emergence on the power play is almost entirely the reason why. Last year, Svechnikov had five power play points in 82 games, None of them goals this year. Svechnikov has already almost nearly doubled that points total in just a quarter of the season, thanks to a power play one role that's helped him to the first four power play goals of his career. Svechnikov has shot 20% on the power play so far this year, which may or may not be sustainable, but even if not, all that does to me is take him down from a 90-point pace to somewhere just above or below 80 points. And when I say this is all because of the power play, by the way, the reason that we can upgrade him this much, I really, really, really do mean that. At five on five, Svechnikov is actually seeing barely any additional time on ice, like mere seconds above what he saw last year. And Svechnikov's own individual numbers at five on five have pretty much only held or slipped a bit, if anything. Right now, he's pacing for an extra eight points at five on five on the season. That's really not thanks to anything he's doing. Uh, that's thanks to a regression in his on-ice shooting percentage. Last year was below 6%. This year it's above 9%. Uh, so that's great that things are balancing out. It's going to get him a few extra points at even strength, but 
not really by virtue of what he's adding to his game at five on five. So thank goodness for the power play step up for Andrei Svechnikov, where he leads all Hurricanes in power play shots on goal. He's the go-to guy with the man advantage. He and Tevo Teravainen are the two shooters, and Teravainen has two shots fewer than Svechnikov does so far on the power play. And um, I'll even throw a silver lining in. Not that anyone's worried about Svechnikov's five-on-five stagnation. He's still young. But the silver lining there is that's a place where we can look for him to improve moving forward since he's not doing it yet, which could eventually lead to him becoming that 90-point player he's presently pacing to be, maybe more. Uh, you asked if he's a top-two-round pick. I don't know he's there yet, but the signs are that he's going to be by the time he's entering his prime. I'm all in on Andrei Svechnikov. You say you're all in, but then you say like you don't know if he's a top two pick next year. I see top two rounds. Uh, I think he will be. If he's going to be 80-plus point player, maybe 90. Obviously, it depends on your league. Also, Brian, I wonder, I want to ask you, so you were digging into his five-on-five play and saying that, you know, overall it hasn't improved that much. Have you taken into account the fact that right now he's playing on the top line with Aho and Terravina? Like, you were probably looking at the whole season numbers. If you just look at his last four games now that he's playing on this like top line with the two best players like I said what was it uh seven points in his last four games I didn't check how much of that is on the power play but yeah I feel like his overall season even strength numbers so far might not even be the truth of what we can expect moving forward now that he's playing with the two best players before he was playing with what like Jordan Stahl and someone I don't even remember but right now he's got the primo deploymento and he's cashing in big time so and you're just saying that you think the even strength stuff could get better so only roses I think there's nothing bad to say about this guy right now yeah what I can tell you is that when he's on the ice with the like in his new top line things do look better for him uh, for goals being scored on the ice uh, like much higher expected goals than he's been averaging so far this season not on that top line so yeah if he can hold on that top line uh, I'm I will buy in at 90 points for Svechnikov. I'm just not sure. I haven't seen it last for long enough yet to think it's set in stone. I'd love for it to be, though. Yeah, I guess that's true. You don't want to bank too much online combinations because as we've learned all throughout the season, things could change on a dime. But yeah, then what about Dougie? Dougie Hamilton finally getting a crack at the top power play in Carolina. Last year, it was Justin Falk the whole year for some strange reason, even though Falk was doing nothing. Hamilton has nine goals and 22 points in 20 games, nine power play points. He's second in points for defensemen in the whole league behind only John Carlson, who's at 32 points, 10 points more somehow. Is it time to start talking about Dougie Hamilton in the same conversation as the guys, you know, Burns, Eric Carlson, John Carlson? Is Hamilton in that same conversation? Or do you also need to see more from him before you're comfortable catapulting him so high so quickly? Because if you're going to say that he's not in that conversation, then I would think that he's got to be a sell high, since I'm sure right now you could probably get a Burns or an Eric Carlson for Dougie Hamilton, just based on their numbers so far this season. It's crazy to be taking guys like Svechnikov and Hamilton, who we know there was talent for, and suddenly just skyrocketing their paces, like, to numbers that we couldn't, like, we always, we knew they were quality players, but we didn't know how fast they might be able to reach their upside after already playing a season in Carolina and being so far. But what can we say for Dougie Hamilton other than finally, right? He's seeing that long-awaited top power play role that we all knew he could and should handle. Isn't it wild that since Hamilton's last season in Boston, uh, this is now the first time Hamilton has consistently seen more than 45% share of his team's power play time. And that last year in Boston back in 2014-15 was also the only other year that Hamilton has seen a power play one role 
on even a semi-regular basis. Uh, And in that year, he scored 15 power play points in 72 games. This season, Hamilton already has eight power play points, more than half of that in 20 games played. Uh, He's already eclipsed his full season total on the power play from last year. And I think if Hamilton holds this top power play role, and why wouldn't he? He has a legit shot at 70, which may not quite put him up there with the highest scoring versions, like the upsides of Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. And I guess I'll throw John Carlson's name in there too. But it does put Hamilton like nipping at their heels, right? And he's at least in a class with someone like Victor Hedman and Colorado Tyson Berry, uh, the dearly departed Colorado Tyson Berry. I'm not sure, like you're asking if if I should sell high on him. I don't know what you could get that would be worth it, especially because he's a defenseman. If you can get a first round forward for him, I might go for that. Otherwise, I'd hold on because I think there's a good chance he's going to keep going. I think 60 points seems like a fair, even conservative expectation rest of season, but I wouldn't be surprised if everything stays exactly the way it is that he hits 70. Yeah, well, when I was saying sell high, I was literally asking, should someone offer him for Eric Carlson or Brent Burns? Like, that's the sell high that I'm thinking of if you're going to swap him for a defenseman. Yeah, so I don't know that you could do it. I think you you could. I think you're wrong. So you're telling people that they should try? Go ahead and try. I don't know. I think I might want to hold Dougie Hamilton, though. Like, I don't think it's so... You're saying it like it's so obvious to do it. This guy's producing like crazy. His shots on goal are off the charts. He's a lot younger than Brent Burns, and he's shooting a lot more than Carlson. He even hits. Like, uh, are you sure? Like, before you... Because this is a big deal. You're telling people to trade Dougie Hamilton for Eric Carlson. This is a very serious trade that can make or break someone's fantasy season, so I don't want you to take this question lightly, you know? Well, if you want to sell high, you're trying to really get a lot of value back, right? And we know Eric Carlson has not been on fire or firing on all cylinders so far this season. So why not start by seeing if you can get Eric Carlson plus? The thing with Hamilton is he's already going, right? You don't need to worry about it. Although Eric Carlson now has five points in his last three games. Like now that the Sharks are playing well, uh, so is he. I'm just looking at his latest numbers. He's up to 16 points in 20 games, which is a 66-point pace. Uh, And I think he only has, uh, he can only go up from here, I think. And Dougie Hamilton, I'm worried that he can only go down. It doesn't mean he will, but his upside might be where I think Carlson's floor is. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I'd still go for it, but you wouldn't. I mean, I would ask for more, I think. I don't know if I'm doing yeah. one for one, but maybe you're right. Like, maybe, like, a couple months from now, I'll be like, oh, why didn't I... I do have Hamilton in one of my leagues. I probably... I think I could get Carlson for him if I wanted. Also, with the injury concern, I just... I don't want to. I just want to stick with Dougie Hamilton, and you're not giving me any reason to be concerned about him. But yeah, so I agree with you. If you want to sell high, I want Carlson plus, even if that might be a, as being a little greedy. Uh, one more guy on Carolina I want to bring up. Eric Hollow returned from that re-aggravated knee injury on Thursday after missing four games. No points in two games so far. Only one shot overall and like i said with carolina stacking that top line not the greatest situation for hollow he's playing i guess on the second line with niederreiter and nichas or maybe it's the third line behind also dezingle fogel and stall uh he's on the stack power play though like i said before with aho tara vinen svechnikov and hamilton so great spot on the power play for Hala. hasn't capitalized yet before the Hala injury he had 11 points in 14 games. So do you think that's enough to have earned him some rope on my fantasy teams where I have him, where I should keep holding him? Or now that he's like pointless in two games, not on a great line, is it time to consider streaming him out? 
It's time to remember that Eric Halla is probably a 50-55 point guy the rest of the way. He scored five goals on 22 shots at five on five, and that's helped inflate his totals, no doubt. But Halla is still a 50-point guy. I think that's his floor with his deployment, and he's got value because of that spot on that killer top power play in Carolina. He's sort of like a high-end version of the fifth forward on Edmonton power plays in the past. The way we talked, remember when we used to talk about quickly, you know, go out and get Mark Latestu. He's the fifth forward on Edmonton's power play right now. Or even Alex Chieson is a more recent example. Uh, Howla is like a better version of those guys. I think he's more talented than either one. And his even strength deployment uh, might be a... St- a, a st- Midge better too. So I think 50, 55 points would be a safe way to project Howla going forward with, of course, upside and downside for five more or less on either side of that, depending on how the percentages play out. But that's a silly thing to say because everything we say always depends on that variance and all those weird percentages that can bounce a player's numbers around. So Elon, now that I've answered your question and said 50, 55 point guy, do you think he's streamable? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I kind of feel like, how about this as a hedge answer? If he's in free agency, don't add him for next week. It's like not the best schedule for the Hurricanes. I think they're only playing on the mainstay days. I could go confirm that. Obviously, I wasn't paying full attention to the stream scheme, or I would know that. But uh, yes, I don't think I would go out and add him right now if he's in free agency. I'd wait for him to start producing and doing something. Okay, Carolina plays Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. No, sorry. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are pretty busy. You might not even be able to get him in your lineup those days. Maybe he'd be a great guy to stream in on Sunday if he's still available, and then hope that he does well. Then maybe he hangs on your roster after that. If I have him, though, I'm not dropping him just yet. I think I'm going to give him at least a couple more games to see if he can, you know, maybe he's still settling in after coming back from this knee injury. I'm not ready to drop him this yet, just yet, if I've already invested in him, but I'm also not rushing to add him if he hasn't done anything. Does that make sense? Or is that like a sort of conflicting answer? I mean, I understand what you're saying. Hopefully everybody else does too. It's like he's someone you want on your team, but not during a busy week because he's likely not going to be someone you push into your roster ahead of your other uh, like lower end players, right? Yeah, like I have, for example, actually I still have him in my IR in the Cupful, Keeping Carl's Ultra Patron Fantasy League. I have Matt Zuccarello on my roster. I was thinking I was going to drop Zuccarello to activate Howla. So that tells me, that tells you, I guess, what you need to know. I like Howla a little bit more than Zuccarello. That's obviously not saying too much about Howla since Zuccarello is ice cold. Okay, let's pop over to another Atlantic team in New Jersey, where Kyle Palmieri is ice cold, has recently been bumped off the Hall Hishier line. He's been playing with Jack Hughes and Miles Wood. Uh, Palmieri's still on the top power play, but that's the only place he's been getting points, is he has a power play goal and a power play assist in his last seven games, and that's it. His last even strength point was back on November 1st versus Philly. Uh, part of me was thinking to cancel bringing up Palmieri today, since his power play goal did come yesterday, but that was an over overtime winning goal versus Montreal. Like, how often is a team going to have a power play in overtime? So I don't know if that's the type of situation that we could expect to be repeated. So I don't think that's an example of Paul Mary finally picking things up. So Brian, what are you doing as a Paul Mary owner right now if you have him? He started the season super hot. He had six goals and four assists in his first 12 games. He was playing with Taylor Hall. Everything seemed good. But now he's on this cold run. Is he potentially droppable now that he's off the Hall line? Or maybe do you try to sell after his goal that he had yesterday? Try to bank on that? Or do you think he's worth holding in the hopes that he'll get back with Hall, continue being the solid producer he's been for the past few seasons, where he's always been a solid 55-plus point guy in terms of his pace with some decent peripherals? Do you think he's still that guy? Or at this point, are you you know not as confident now that he's been bumped off that top line? 
You know, I feel like my take on Palmieri is pretty much the same it's always been. And you just sort of said it. Palmieri's a roughly 55-point player. He's paced between 54 and 58 points in each of the last four seasons. Right now, Palmieri's pacing for 52 points, which is very close to those numbers. And I get that the way Palmieri got to this present 52-point pace is weird, what with being real hot at one point and now real cold. But at the end of the day, I'm not seeing anything new or different from any of the last several years in Palmieri. Palmieri's 1920 number, so I have no reason to expect something other than a 55-point player again in Kyle Palmieri. I think he's probably below that mark right now, only at a 52-point pace, because of a dreary 50% IPP when he should be closer to 60% and ideally 70%, but they may be shooting a little high. So yeah, what to do with him, it depends on how much anyone else in your league values him. If you can find anyone who's as bullish on Palmieri as Elon you've been in the past, then see if you can sell him as a 60-point forward or, you know, someone you could get a 50-point defenseman back for. That's crazy, though, right? Even a 45-point defenseman, depending on how scarce they are and how your own bench and roster composition looks, might be worth considering. Uh, I also doubt you're going to have much luck there because Kyle Palmieri has not done a whole lot this year. I think you should essentially just be checking your free agency pool if you're a Palmieri owner to make sure there's not a better player available to you. And that's all you can do. Yeah, it's really fr- These types of situations are the most frustrating to me. It's like Victor Olafson was kind of cold and then he was bumped off the top line on Buffalo and a lot of people decided to drop him, myself included. And now he's back on the top line and he's doing well again. And now I'm beating myself up and saying, why the hell did I drop this guy? But I remember why. He was off the top lines. So I was like, what's the value of a Victor Olafson off line one? I feel it's the same with Kyle Palmieri now. Like, I don't really want Palmieri while he's on the second line when he's not playing with Taylor Hall. But at the same time, like he could just get, as soon as you drop him, the, New Jersey could switch things up again. It's not as if New Jersey's totally rolling with Palmieri on the second line and so they're going to hold like they did win this game against Montreal yesterday. But that was with Keith Kincaid in net. So I don't know if they should give themselves too much credit. Yeah, and Keith Kincaid, by the way, didn't play so bad. Don't get mad at me, Habs fans. We'll talk about the Habs next. Anyways, you know what I'm saying, Brian? Like, it's tricky. So I think you can drop him. But if, I, if you were to drop him, you should be having him on your watch list. You should be following at game day lines, and I'm ready to jump right back on. Don't even wait for him to produce. As soon as you see that he's skating on the top line with Taylor Hall, I would jump in. That's, that's the way I see it. Uh, then, though, of course, the guy who's currently playing on the top line is Jesper Bratt, who was playing with Hall and his year yesterday. No points, but he did have four shots, and he has a modest goal and assist in his last four games. So that's not that great, but it's something. Is Bratt on your radar while he's on this top line, or would you need to see him start producing at a better clip before you'd have any interest in adding him to any of your fantasy teams? Brett has been on my radar all year and was also on my radar last year too, but I'm not trying to sound smart by saying that because that's essentially all he's been on my radar. He's a really annoying guy to make any long commitment to because despite what Brett's four-shot game may lead you to believe, if you're only looking at that, Brett never shoots the puck combined for just one single shot in the four games leading up to that four shot game. One shot in four games before he scored four shots. And he also, like in the time that he had just one shot over four games, he played nearly an hour of ice time. What was he doing on the ice? He couldn't throw the puck in that like once or twice more. So Brett makes an okay streaming choice if you're hoping for a point or maybe someone who stays on your roster for a week if New Jersey has a schedule where they're playing a lot of off days. But really, he's not someone you want to look for if your league counts shots. Uh, like, if you just want someone to come in and do something, anything for you, he's a risky choice that way. Yeah, like, I like that he's on the top line, but you're right. If he's not going to give you peripherals, maybe there's better options. 
options out there. On the plus side in New Jersey, is it time for people to maybe consider getting back on the Nikita Gusev train or at least buying a ticket for the train and then seeing what happens? Like, he scored a goal and took six shots yesterday. That was his second point in three games. And by the way, shout out to Dave Benton on the stream scheme because last week he called Nikita Gusev as one of his streaming options. And I remember thinking like, what? That's random. He's not doing anything. But Dave just has these hunches and he was totally right. Anyone who streamed Gusev last week is very happy. But of course, the big question now is do you hold him or do you stream him out? Because on one hand, his ice time has been really low all season long and he hasn't been producing much. Like we all know why we lost interest in Gusev. But this last game gives me some confidence. He played 15 minutes and two seconds, which was his most ice time in a game since October 9th, the third game of the season. Uh, Gusev wasn't on the most exciting line. He was with Blake Coleman and Travis Zajac and he's only seeing second power play time. But perhaps his increase in ice time and this one big game that he had, maybe that's only the start. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. Or am I deluding myself and reading too much into a game versus the Habs who were on the second half of a back-to-back and maybe you don't want to put all of your hopes into a guy that had one good game against that team? Well, Nikita Gusev had a long way to fall and now he has a long way to climb, which means that you know, these little victories are noticeable now, right? They're no longer huge disappointments. Like, okay, uh, it's nice that we can perceive a climb from Gusev having started, even if it might be just from the smallest germ. I loved Gusev's six-shot game, and he'd recently just come off a run where he had 12 shots in five games with limited time on ice. And Gusev's numbers are seeming to emerge from a funk and edge closer to where they were to start the season. Uh, so that's promising, too, for Gusev. But Few good things are still ever happening when Gusev is on the ice. And I think this is the reason why he lost essentially all his deployment after, well, a very short time of the season. He's only been on the ice for eight goals scored, and that's not bad luck or anything. His on-ice shooting percentage is actually pretty well. It's just because the Devils are not controlling play almost ever while he's on the ice. Uh, the Devils control just 40% of the shot attempts when Gusev is on the ice, and they are expected to score just 38% of the goals scored while Gusev is on the ice. I don't know how much of that is Gusev's fault or his teammates or his coaches for putting him in the wrong situation, but I expect Gusev doesn't get much more offensive opportunity, either that he can generate on his own while he's on the ice or because he gets a longer leash from his coaches. I don't think he's going to get that opportunity so long as he and his line mates are just being buried and dominated while they're on the ice. Like these are bottom of the barrel numbers here. So it's not a bad time if you want to <laughs> all that said to throw him in a depth roster spot and see if he keeps trying to climb out of this pretty big hole he's dug himself. He's sort of someone who I'd like to see on my roster for maybe a game two games, maybe three games, but I would not want to offer him a longer trial on my roster than that, if even that. Yeah, like, here's the thing. He's been a huge disappointment, but he led the KHL in scoring last season. It's not something I could just forget so quickly. There's some big names that have come to the NHL that didn't even achieve that. So yeah, like, I think at the very least, add him back to your watches. Check in your league. See if he's been dropped. He probably has. You probably have forgotten all about him. If you ever are sorting by rank or by percent owned, you're never going to find him. So search for G-U-S-E-S in you know in the search bar add a star beside his name get him on your watch list and then at least pay attention because 
there is upside there based on his offensive pedigree. And now we just have to see if maybe this game of getting 15 minutes, see if he could build on that. Because obviously, Brian, most of your analysis is from, you know, the start of the season. And obviously, he's had a lot of adjusting to do. Maybe he's starting to learn or maybe it was just one good game. But it was a game against the Montreal Canadiens who, Brian, are currently second in the Atlantic Division, only behind the Boston Bruins. They're having a great season. They are 7-1-2 and two in their last 10 games. If only they could just play Carey Price every game, maybe they would have even won yesterday. I don't know why I like to beat up on Keith Kincaid. I just I like the idea of Craig Anderson going to Montreal. I know I've told you this before, but anyways, the Habs are great, and probably one of the reasons is Shea Weber, who is on fire lately. Actually, we have a question from short shift host Louis Ezekiel. He asked, what's real and what's a mirage from Shea Weber's hot streak? And Brian, like, let's look into this. After a slow start to the season, Weber only had two assists in his first six games. Weber has been putting up Hamilton-type numbers. He has 15 points in his last 14 games, and that along with his almost three shots shots per game, almost two hits and two blocks per game. Make him another candidate for this like Burns and Carlson's and Hamilton conversation, at least in multi-category leagues that count all these stats. He's like among the top guys that you can get if he can keep this up. Perhaps even more impressive is the fact that Weber is doing all of this, only seeing 50% of the Habs power play times. The Habs have been running two even power play units with Jeff Petrie manning the other group. So only five of Weber's 17 points have come on the power play. Imagine if at some point he gets the Hamilton treatment, gets to man a stacked top power play. Maybe he could even do even better. So I don't know, Brian. Like, I know Weber hasn't been this great for a while now, but back to Lewis's question, what's real and what's a mirage like will Weber keep up this 70 point pace moving forward and if not how far do you expect him to fall and that when I was writing down this question to ask you today the thought that came to my mind was what if I would have asked you this last year around this time about Mark Giordano right because he was coming off whatever it was a 38 point season and then he was crushing it last year at this time and probably would have thought oh this guy's old there's no way he could keep it up no I'm gonna stop you there I don't think that's I think you might have and I think I don't know that we considered 70 point heights for Giordano but we were calling him for bounce back last year seeing him as having a lot to give uh, knowing that Hamilton wasn't there anymore that TJ Brody seemed to have definitely taken anyway we're not going to talk about Mark Giordano but I think you're wrong about what we would have said or what we did actually say about Mark Giordano last year because his numbers looked solid as he was on that crazy pace that he was just starting to get on. And remember we made the analogy about the bus just coming more often in Calgary, uh, so there are more points available to be scored? Yeah, go back and listen. It's funny if you were there. Anyway, Shea Weber, similar thing. Uh, I'm really actually interested, because I expected to look at Shea Weber's numbers and be like, okay, um, not really. Like, I, I don't know where the 70, like, it's not going to keep up, but I haven't actually been able to find the crack in what Shea Weber's doing to tell me that he's not going to keep up this pace. The power play, for one, has definitely been a factor for Shea Weber's success. I know it's only five power play points for him so far, but last year, he had only six power play points, which seriously deflated his totals to the 47-point pace that Weber ended up with. To get those five power play points, too, by the way, Weber has worked for them. He's either scored or gotten the primary assist on every power play goal scored while he's been on the ice. And at five on five, we've seen a newly productive Shea Weber in Montreal compared to who he was as a Nashville Predator. Weber is shooting more, scoring twice as much on a per 60 basis, and just being on a more high-paced 
offense. About 10 or 15 more on-ice shot attempts per 60 for Shea Weber since coming to Montreal and more goals being scored that he can pick up points on. The buses in Montreal come in more often than they did in Nashville. So I think that's about my answer. This Montreal offense has been so good and Weber is a part of that, both in creating goals and picking up points from others. I'm looking for these obvious signs and percentages that I normally see that the 70-point pace won't keep up. And like I said, I'm not seeing them to the extent I'd have expected. Like, there's no number I can find to even really pick at. But for some reason, like, this is what my brain and eyes see, but my gut does not agree with this. Like, Shea Weber has been a 50-point guy, give or take, his whole career. He has this reputation, I think, to some people as someone who was, like, really fantastically uh, productive on offense. He's never been that. He's been a 50-point guy, essentially at best in his career. Now Shea Weber is 34 years old, multiple injuries behind him. So Elon, I'm going to turn this around and ask you, my head has been buried in the numbers looking for a reason to try and go against my gut here. So I'm going to ask you, is there something you can see to corroborate (laughs) this gut feeling that I have that Shea Weber can't actually be what his numbers are suggesting he is, which is a 70-point guy, or is 70-point Weber somehow going to be a thing now? Well, I mean, to be fair, Brian, you can't just look at 20 games or whatever it's been and be like, oh, the numbers say he's going to do it. Like, they don't predict the future. Obviously, you're saying that he's not riding any high percentages right now. I probably wouldn't be projecting him for a 70-point pace moving forward, but I think, like, 60 is possible, maybe. But the thing is, he's old. Like uh, Another thing with Weber is he's kind of like a Chris Letang in that you don't want to invest too much in him because he could get injured at any point. It's happened before. So, I, you know, maybe if you could sell him for, like, a Dougie Hamilton, I don't know if you could do that the way he's going but you know like i could get behind selling him on this amazing pace i don't think his value is going to get any higher and i think it's unlikely it even stays the same but i'm with you that if you have him you're super happy to just hold on like if you can't work out an amazing trade like he's definitely for real and like with these peripherals the nice thing is even if his offense like disappears a little bit he's still giving you shots and hits and blocks so he's helping you all across the board again i don't know if this is a good answer if i'm being like a politician here and actually not giving advice but yeah i guess yeah i'm with you that my gut also says that he's not going to keep up this pace but this Montreal team like I said looking pretty good and by the way another guy in Montreal who's having a great season though a lot more quietly than Shea Weber is their top line center Philip Deneau I just streamed him in in the Cacupful tier one division this week in time to collect on his one goal two assist performance versus Washington on Friday unfortunately he was on my bench for his one assist versus New Jersey yesterday because it was a busy night and clearly I didn't have enough faith in Deneau producing and he totally did and these points that Deneau has gotten recently have brought him to 15 points in 20 games. That's a 62-point pace and rising. So with production and deployment like this, why is Phil Deneau only 11% owned in Yahoo and only 61% owned in the Cacupful? Like, I streamed him in for $0. Now I feel like I want to hold this guy for a long time, maybe for the rest of the season. Like, normally I'm all over top line, top power play guys. I don't know why I was so skittish and waited so long. He's been on my watch list, like, all year. I finally decided to add him. Now I want to know, Brian, like, are people sleeping on Deneau and should rush to grab him in all but the shallowest of leagues? Or do you expect him to fall back to his more pedestrian 54-point pace from last season, which he achieved in pretty much the same role? It's crazy that, like, I, Paul Mary's numbers, I don't know if you can pull them quickly, but he is 
obviously no better than Deneau so far this season. He's definitely more than 11% owned in Yahoo and more than 61% owned in the Cupful. Yeah, but the can re- I can I interrupt you for a second? Like, Because sure. I, I think one clear reason is Palmieri, first of all, has winger eligibility and also Palmieri like, has some okay. hits and some peripherals. So it's not exactly apples to oranges, but still, yeah, it's a good point that right now I definitely have a lot more faith in Deneau producing than Palmieri, at least offensively. If you're looking for production, you should be looking to Deneau. And the reason that a lot of people aren't, I think is because he's got a boring name. I'm not even kidding. And also a boring pedigree. It's the same reason, Elon, that you couldn't buy in to even... to. I projected him for 55 points in our almanac, and you couldn't even get with that. You were like, no, 50. Like, 55 points is crazy. Like, I think you derided me for it. But, like, I made the argument that people don't think of Montreal as an offensive team they are. This year so far, the Habs are second in five-on-five shot attempts per 60 minutes, third in five-on-five goals scored per 60 minutes, eighth in five-on-five expected goals per 60 minutes. They're fourth and sixth in five-on-five scoring chances and high danger chances per 60 minutes. I could go on, but the big picture I'm trying to paint here is that Montreal is a dangerous and threatening team. And further, people don't think of Deneau as a key offensive contributor and uh, he is, as we talked about on the Almanac, he and Gallagher and Tatar combined for elite shot generation last season. It's something they can keep doing. Now, that doesn't necessarily equate to high-end point production just because you're generating a ton of shots. And I'll be the first to tell you that Phil Deneau won't continue scoring on nearly 25% of his five-on-five shots on goal, nor will his line mates continue to have an on-ice shooting percentage of 13%. But Deneau is a real player who is good enough to get runs like this from time to time. This is a guy who, if he had any kind of power play role, Deneau would be a 65-70 point player and everyone would know his name. Unfortunately, he doesn't have that top power play role, but he's still very fancy relevant. He's one of the best 5-on-5 producers in the league to not be on a power play unit and you can count on him for a 55 point pace. Well, Brian, actually, I mean, like I said, Montreal has been splitting their power plays pretty evenly. So he is getting decent power play time. He just hasn't produced so much. Zero power play points so far this season. But I'm seeing that he has been getting over a minute of power play time recently. Actually, for Barely. most of the season, he yeah. wasn't. And then, yeah, just recently. So who knows? That means even more reason to expect things to get better. Patty, by the way, saying in the chat room here, talking about uh, Shea Weber, she's saying she called that the Habs won that trade when it happened, when Weber was traded for P.K. Subban. Yeah, a lot of people were really uh, riding the Habs for making that deal. Now it's kind of looking uh, pretty good for Montreal to have done that, eh? Yeah, everyone was wrong, except for Marc Bergevin. (laughs) Okay, so I still have one more player in Montreal I want to talk to you about. But first of all, Brian, you live near Montreal. You live in Ottawa, which is, what, a two-hour drive away? And Montreal is a great place to go to see hockey games, of course, but also so much culture. Like, what a beautiful city. And if you want to go see any one of these amazing events over in Montreal, I might recommend that you use our friends over at SeatGeek to get those tickets. Because SeatGeek, that is a ticketing website. You hear me? Like, there's all these other ticketing websites, which you guys all know about. And they're just like, they make things difficult almost on purpose. It's as if they're so big, they can just get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying, doesn't have the event you want? Hello, status quo. Am I right? The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, SeatGeek cares. With the millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek, they prove that there is a better way. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, anything. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. Brian, I've talked about before, I love just bringing up the app 
picking a city, you see everything that's going on there. I live in Toronto, but I brought it up to look at what's going on in Montreal. And you right away get a list of things. And then once you click into your event that you want to go to, you can get all the ticket prices available. You could sort it by a bunch of different things. I really like the idea of sorting by value. By the way, they don't have any of these hidden fees that other ticketing sites have. So I really like that. So, Brian, I'm looking at Montreal for SeatGeek right now. If you want to do something in next weekend, if you want to take the drive, take your wife and kid over to Montreal, you could either go see the Rangers at the Canadians on the 23rd, or you could see Celine Dion at the Bell Centre on the 22nd, the day before. What do you think is the more expensive ticket on SeatGeek right now? Celine Dion in her home province? No way. That's the cheaper ticket. Uh, you know what? You're correct. Celine Dion is the most expensive, but it's a lot closer than I would have thought. You can see Celine Dion for only $67. The, the Habs game is 50 Don't forget, Brian, Habs tickets are... It's not like some of these other cities we've talked about. It's a it's a hot ticket, and Montreal is crushing it right now, but you are right. Uh, but yeah, let's say you're thinking $67 for Celine Dion. I don't know. Money's a bit tight. I have a baby now. Well, you know what, Brian? SeatGeek is going to help you out because you're a listener of Keeping Carlson. Let you even get a discount on that $67. Why don't you tell our listeners how? Yeah, SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today. Use the promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off on your first purchase. Wow. Wowie zowie. Okay, so like I said, I wanted to still talk about one more player on the house. Brian, what's up with Max Domi? His assist yesterday was only his third point in his last 10 games. He was on the second line yesterday with Nick Suzuki and Armia. I'm going to call it the second line because Max Domi was there. Uh, though, I guess to be fair, Jonathan Drouin is injured and the severity isn't known. And by the way, it's apparently not related to the OV hit. So hopefully he'll get Drouin back if Tatar stays on the top line with Dino and Gallagher. Anyway, doesn't matter because no matter who he's playing with, he hasn't been producing. I know you predicted that Domi wouldn't come near his 72-point pace from last season, but how? How much less should I be bracing myself for at this point as a Domi owner? Am I at a point where in tough sit-start situations in the couple, I should start considering playing Dano over Domi, something I never would have considered at the start of the year? I had Max Domi for just under 65 points in my Almanac projection. I'd actually bought into him, believe it or not. You said we didn't think he'd get up to those mid-70s, which is true, but we weren't totally discounting it either. So of course, when I do believe in Max Domi, after having... like. I've been wrong on Max Domi very consistently in his career. I kept waiting for a big breakout in Arizona. It didn't come. Then I didn't expect much in Montreal. Then he broke out. And now this year, he's currently pacing for 53 points, helping me keep my record of just whiffing on him year after year. But I think Domi, if you want to trust me at all with what I have to say about him, I think he might be a good buy low candidate. I bet there are leagues where he's even been dropped. And you should be interested because Domi has a 35% IPP, which means of all the goals scored while he's on the ice, he only gets a point on 35% of them when I think we could expect him to get a point on 70% of the goals based on his career history. He's also shooting just 3.5% at 5-on-5, which should be higher, but here is where I'm a little conflicted about Max Domi's shooting. Uh, Two years ago, in 2017-18, he shot 4%, had a 0.44 expected goals per 60. Uh, Stick with me here. Then in 18-19, last season, Domi shot 10% better and had an expected goals rate that was up at 0.7. So his expected goals went up. So did his shooting percentage. Not quite commensurately, but still, and those were both career highs. This year... Max Domi's shooting percentages dipped back down 
to the way it was two years ago, three and a half percent, and so have his expected goals rates. So he has this lower expected goals rates, but he's still not getting the amount of goals he deserves. Like even if his expected goals rates don't match what he was able to put up last year, three and a half percent is still too low for Max Domi. So what I would do is say it may be prudent to downgrade Max Domi back to a 60-point player. I had him at 65, so that's where I'd push him. And maybe even less while Jonathan Duran is out. But with a healthy Jonathan Duran, I think Domi should still outpace Deneau to answer your question, thanks to his consistent power play role. Though if Deneau does stick on the top power play, could be a lot closer than we think. Yeah, the thing is, the the fantasy schedule is really frustrating over the next few weeks. Like, the NHL is really loading up on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So, like, this coming Tuesday, I'm probably going to have to decide between playing Domi or Deneau for Montreal's game at Columbus. And I'm not sure who to pick, because right now Domi's the one on the cold street. But you're saying to still stick with Domi. I'm saying if Domi is playing with Duran, I would take Domi. If Duran's still out, I would take Deneau. All right. Fair enough. It's probably a coin flip either way at this point. Like you say, while Joanne is out. Good answer. Let's jump to Domi's former team, the Arizona Coyotes, where there's another, I guess, former star who's also on a cold run as Oliver ekman Larson has only two assists in his last 10 games. And to make matters worse, for the last couple of weeks, OEL has been bumped from the top power play by Jacob Chikrin. And honestly, with the Coyotes having won for their third time in four games versus Calgary yesterday, I don't expect this to change anytime soon. I think that Jacob Chikrin is now and for the foreseeable future the top power play quarterback in arizona so brian i'm afraid i've got to ask are people who are holding on to oliver ekman larson in their leagues snoozing at this point does he hold any value off the top power play we were high on him going into the season we were expecting that his exposure to phil kessel would be a good thing maybe he'd finally be able to break his like 45 point ceiling that he'd been up for a while and maybe get to 50 points now i if i could definitely see myself wanting to drop him if i was unfortunate enough to have him on any of my teams luckily I don't, so I don't have to make that tough decision. But just like, I don't have any interest in a guy who has two assists in his last 10 games and isn't even on the top power play. And at best for the past few years, he's only been a 45 point guy anyways. Before even talking about Oliver Ekman Larson and going into the questions you've asked, which are very good. So let's just remember Elon asked if OEL is a snoozer. I want to just rewind a bit. You mentioned that you expect Shikrin to stay on the top power play over Ekman Larson because Arizona has been winning games. But to me, I'm not sure that makes sense. Arizona, their power play is just one for 15 with Jacob Shikrin being in that QB1 spot. So I feel like Arizona's winning in spite of their power play, not because of any adjustments they've made that have been working with the man advantage. For comparison, the Coyotes were nine for 51 before they handed the reins over to Shikrin. So in my opinion, I think the Coyotes might be leaving power play goals on the table, not to say it's Shikrin's fault or to Ekman Larson's credit, but their previous power play setup with Ekman Larson has definitely been the more effective one, scoring once in every five tries versus once in every 15 tries, as they have done with Jacob Shikrin manning the point. Anyway, when trying to figure out what's up with Ekman Larson not being on the top power play unit in spite of this, I found an article over at The Athletic by Craig Morgan, who wrote, if you take, I'm quoting here, if you take a look at the best power plays nowadays, the guy up top can one-time the puck and shoot the puck. That's a comment from Rick Tockett. Nothing against 
OEL, but we're not getting that up there. Sometimes guys just need a fresh start, so maybe you put them on a different unit. That's Rick Tockett talking about Ekman Larson, and the rest of the article from November 13th, if you're looking for it yourself, is mostly about how Ekman Larson has been a guy who traditionally starts slow and may have some other personal things on his mind and how those factors may have led to poor play that has disappointed his coaching staff. Now, that poor play has entirely been at 5-on-5 and has been more on the defensive end than the offensive end because Eggman Larson hasn't really changed anything in how he performs on the offensive side in any significant way. But sadly for his owners, the poor defense means that there have been repercussions from his coaches that hurt Eggman Larson's offense. Not that he was doing well on the power play before being yanked off the top unit. He only pointed on one of the five power play goals scored while he was on the ice for, and uh, he was also shooting so much less. Ekman Larson had only six power play shots over the course of an hour of ice with the man advantage, and he hasn't scored on any of them, nor should he have, given a real drop in his expected goals for on the power play. There's a theory that Ekman Larson isn't shooting as much on the power play because he's deferring more uh, to someone like Phil Kessel, right, who the Coyotes brought in to be the ringer on that power play and Ekman Larson maybe doesn't feel comfortable as he once did shooting uh, but Rick Tockett has said he wants Ekman Larson to be the beast he was for the last 20 or 30 games of last season so I mean what we're seeing right now to sort of distill and summarize all of this what we're seeing so far is the Ekman Larson that we've always seen at five on five minus the 20 points of power play production that we can usually count on, which actually leaves Ekman Larson in like 30 point territory, which absolutely makes him a terrible own and a hard snoozer until he gets another turn on the top power play, which point he'll hopefully start shooting again and getting more involved than he was in his first run there. I feel like he's not off permanently, but while he's not on there, my goodness, he's a tough guy to keep on your roster. Yeah, I agree. If he was dropped in Kakuffle Tier 1 right now, and I could probably use another defenseman, I don't know if I'd be uh, putting much fab dollars down on him, if any. So, yeah, it's tough. I think I might drop him. And obviously, that's more the Elon in me, and maybe a Brian would be more likely to hold. But even a Brian here is saying that as a 30-point guy, he would be really tough to hold. So, yeah, tough going for Oliver ekman Larson. And speaking of that top power play... Poor Clayton Keller has also been bumped off the top unit lately. He's still mildly producing. He has three points in his last four games and three or more shots in each of his last five games. So that's good. But still 13 points in 21 games overall so far for Keller. That's a 51 point pace, which is right around where he landed last year. Like he had 47 points last year. Do you have any reason to expect more from Keller at this point? Or is he maybe just going to be a 50 point guy for the foreseeable future, especially if he's also off the top power play? Yeah, Keller's put up mostly the same five-on-five numbers this year as he did in last year's disappointing campaign, though this year Keller has the extra struggle being caused by a very Arizona on-ice shooting percentage that's barely above 5%. And Keller also still cannot buy a goal on the power play. He has just a single goal on 61 power play shots since the start of the 2018-19 season. Remember, on the power play is when you're supposed to convert better than at even strength, right? Like, we see guys regularly convert at 20% on the power play. Clayton Keller has converted once on 60 shots. Uh, so that's been pretty rough uh, last year and a bit now. Though 
Keller does have seven expected goals since then. So it's not that he's doing things completely wrong. I think he's just not getting the percentages. But Keller is a guy who I still think has talent beyond 50 points, but he hasn't had the individual play plus the opportunity plus the percentages all working together in concert for him at the same time since that 65-point rookie season that Keller had. This year, we should also mention Keller's down almost 90 seconds per night in his ice time, but he remains a guy with huge upside. Uh, Unfortunately, we're learning that the downside for Keller weighs pretty heavy. I still think he can and should be a 60-point player this season, but he's a frustrating guy to be waiting on for sure. I'm not suggesting he's snoozing the way I was suggesting Ekman Larson might be. Yeah, still though a tough hold, especially in somewhat shallower leagues. He's available in one of my leagues, uh, the one with the Fantasy Hockey Podcast guys, and uh, no one's been adding him, and I'm not planning to anytime soon, though. If you were to add him, this week would be the week, because Arizona has a good schedule. They're one of only, I think, three, or no, five teams playing four games. They have two off-day games. Most people, like I said, are loaded Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, so that's a reason. Like, if I were in your league, Elon, I don't know what the um, rules are for how many ads you can make in a week or a year or whatever, but I'm surprised he's a free agent right now. Like, who are your lowest rostered guys that you're keeping over Clayton Keller in a week where he has a schedule advantage. Yeah, well, this is a weekly league. So you could only and you could only make ads one time per week. And then the players are locked in for the whole week. So it's not like a streaming league. And uh, I don't know, I guess I could this this week, I had one spot that I considered my streaming spot. I actually put my bid on Zach Cassian, I needed a right wing. And then I had Clayton Keller as my third backup bid, but I put Andreas Janssen as my second one. So I decided to go with Janssen, who's playing with Austin Matthews, who's red hot at even strength on the power play even though Andreas Janssen isn't like you know going crazy right now I still like his upside more than Keller even with one fewer game so that's the decision I made we'll find out there's actually a lot of Arizona players that you may want to look at though especially in your deeper leagues like I said with Keller and OEL off the top power play there's a lot of people on the top power play with Phil Kessel and those guys are Nick Schmaltz Connor Garland Carl Soderberg and Jacob Chikrin, which seems like a weird list of names. So, Brian, maybe that's why, like you said, they haven't been scoring much on the power play lately. But still, some interesting names. Garland is on a nice run recently. Two goals and seven shots in his last three games. Chikrin, like uh, we said, it hasn't been doing that much. He's pointless in four games, providing decent peripherals and in a good spot right now to potentially cash in. Soderberg scored yesterday. He's been quiet for the most part. I'm not that interested in him. Nick Schmaltz, only two assists in his last six games after a hot run. So, I don't know. All these guys look sort of are somewhat interesting to me but not really i'm kind of tempted by connor garland who's been shooting and scoring Uh, i don't know who uh, are any of these guys on your radar to stream next week with a good schedule elon you left at derek stepan who had a goal and four shots in his last game and 10 shots over his last four games wow derek stepan doing the thing once every 15 games or so way to go he did it of course on my bench i honestly hate that arizona is the team with the best off day schedule this upcoming week and also had it the last one i streamed in nick schmaltz and derek stepan and hated the experience yet they get to stay on my roster because of this four game week coming up for the coyotes uh, so if you want me to rank them I'm going to go Nick Schmaltz, then Connor Garland, then Carl Soderberg, then Derek Stepan last because he always, always, always disappoints. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He even disappoints when he scores because he's on your bench. Right. Exactly. Yeah. On a busy day. Derek Stepan. Forget about that guy. He's not even on the top. I didn't mention him because he's not even on that top power play. So why do I even have to talk about him? Though Dave actually mentioned Vinny Hindestroza as one, uh, you know, spoiler alert for a stream scheme. Sorry for the people who were hoping to get that as a surprise. But he thinks Hindestroza is going to hit next week. And Dave's been pretty good. He had a really great streaming week last 
last week in terms of his suggestions on the stream scheme, which again, listen to that episode. It's like 20 minutes long. It's definitely worth your time. Okay. Speaking of random players and good How spots. How can people find it? Like, you keep mentioning it, but you don't tell people where to go. Well, we said it's going to be linked in the show notes, so that's one place. But Or keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme. You could search also for stream scheme in your podcast app. You'll, you'll find If you want it, I think you're going to be able to find it. Unless you're having a lot of trouble. Th- tweet at us at keepingcarlson if you're having trouble, and then we'll tell you how to find it. Okay? We're also tweeting about it. All right? But enough about Dave. we got to talk about some more random players in good spots. How about Jason Dickinson? Okay, listener, uh, by the way, I- I'm sure not even most of the listeners know what team he's on. I don't think I knew what team he was on before uh, maybe this week. But yeah, he played on the top line with Ben and Sagan on Dallas in the 5-4 win over Edmonton yesterday. He picked up a goal and an assist, doubling his production for the season. Before that, another random guy named Justin Dowling was seeing some top line time. He scored in two straight games before getting demoted yesterday. So Brian, what's the takeaway here? Like, I assume you're not into either of these guys, or maybe you are. Is, is the main lesson here just that people should make sure... To be following at game day lines and see who will be playing with Sagan on a given night because that person could be someone that's in for some production. Like Sagan has finally picked up the pace after a slow start and I'd be happy to get a player playing with Sagan on a given night if it's a deep league and you're definitely going to be able to find guys like Jason Dickinson or Justin Dowling in free agency if you want them. You know, I don't know a ton about these depth stars, guys. I I pick up pieces along the ways, but I, I checked in with our resident Dallas Stars expert patron, Chris Ladner, uh, who, by the way, you can follow at ScarioLemieux66, which is a great handle. It's almost like if there was a Wario version of Mario Lemieux, it would be Scar. Anyway, uh, so... Chris helped me understand that Jason Dickinson has some history as being liked by the Stars organization. Like, as someone to take on some kind of top six scoring all, he was, after all, their first round pick in 2013. Now he's 24 years old. He's had opportunities before. I wonder if this one sort of sticks. I think the Stars want him in the top six. He just has to earn it. He's obviously worth rostering as long as he is buzzing around your Sagans, your Bens, your Pavelskis. Uh, maybe not worth rostering, sorry, but at least considering watching, streaming, whatever. Uh, Dowling is a different story, though, and it's a pretty amazing story. 29 years old, undrafted, played 259 games in the AHL and 60 games in the ECHL over many years before getting his first shift in the NHL at the age of 26, only to not return back to the NHL again till he was 28 years old and then finally scoring his first goal at age 29 this past week in just his 33rd NHL game. So great story uh, from Justin Dowling. And kind of classic, right? Undersized player near point per game in the AHL. Just couldn't find a way to stick in the big leagues. Anyway, you mentioned he's already been demoted. Uh, not expecting a ton from him. But I, I obviously, I think the lesson is what you already summarized. If you're playing with Tyler Sagan especially, or Ben, or Pavelski, or Radulov, uh, you might be worth a stream. Which is what we've practiced, to be honest, like for the last several years and been burned a lot doing. Like Radic Faxa is a name that we tried a few times and Spezza even had some turns with some of these guys and couldn't produce. So maybe Dickinson can break the cycle. I'm not sure, but it just shows that they're not someone to get overly excited about just because of who they're playing with. Yeah, I don't even expect this to last, so I'm not, like, you know, just on a given day, maybe you stream one of them in, but not a long-term thing. By the way, Brian, don't poop on Radic Faxa. He's got seven points in his last six games. Another guy that Dave actually recommended as a streamer last week. I'm telling you guys, he killed it. Uh, 
So Faxel's actually doing pretty good right now, but I don't expect him to keep that up. But, but okay, but sp- speaking of Dallas, obviously the players that most people want us to talk about are the Joe Pavelskis, the Jamie Benz, the Alex Radulovs. Uh, so things are happening with them. I don't even know if I should keep asking you about them or if at some point we should just stop because it's just been such a weird season for them and I can't just talk about Dallas players every single week with you. But like Pavelski had a couple multi-point games last week. Ben has points in each of his last two games. So maybe that's the start of something and he's playing with Sagan, like I said. Radulov, unfortunately, back to being quiet lately. Only one goal in his last four games what do you want to do brian with these dallas guys moving forward i'm going to take your league like should i keep bringing them up whenever their fortune changes one way or the other or do you want to just give like a final blanket statement now and then i promise to leave them alone for at least like a couple weeks since i don't know like what else what more is there to say not gonna lie i'm getting pretty tired of talking about these guys every single week because it's just like oh two games of nothing oh two games of something oh 10 games of nothing but three games of something so i'm gonna make a final blanket statement and it is this temper your expectations on all these dallas guys until you see continued results every small search you see from them is a step in the right direction but obviously they've struggled long enough that it's gonna need to take a minute or two before you can really be ready to buy in wholesale. My buy-in list, by the way, in order of how little I need to see from each player to know they're back and for real, uh, Tyler Sagan, Alex Radulov, Joe Pavelski, Jamie Benn. That's my ranked order of how quickly I'm ready to buy into each player. In order of ceiling, Tyler Sagan, Radulov, Ben Pavelski. In order of Best floor, Sagan, Radulov, Pavelski, Ben. So if you have any Dallas Stars questions, just replay the last 90 seconds and you will find your answer. Okay, so it sounds like basically you're saying, well, I don't even know what, you don't need to include Sagan in these lists. Obviously, Sagan is great. Uh, Radulov, that's interesting, right? Because he's the one who's cold and you're saying you're most into him, but I guess that makes sense after he did so well over the last couple of seasons. But okay, enough about Dallas. Let's talk about the team that they played yesterday. And now seems like just as good a time as any to get into the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are in a whole other league right now. They're coming off huge weeks. They're now starting to put a decent amount of distance between themselves and the pack in the NHL scoring race. McDavid is on a seven-game point streak, which has included some insane games, including a hat-trick against Anaheim, a super hat-trick, as I'm going to call it, a three-goal, three-assist game versus Colorado, a three-assist game yesterday versus Dallas. McDavid has eight goals and nine assists in these last seven games during this point streak. And then Dreisaitl, he's been right there along with him. He had five assists in that crazy game against Colorado. He had a goal and an assist yesterday versus Dallas. He's up to 43 points in 22 games on the season, which is three points ahead of Connor McDavid, who has 40. The next highest is John Carlson, Brad Marchand, and David Pasternak, who are all tied with 32. So like I said, quite a big distance already between Dreisaitl and McDavid and the pack. Brian, what odds would you put on someone not named McDavid or Dreisaitl winning the Art Ross at this point? Like five to one? higher like it seems like so unlikely unless there's an injury that one of these guys is going to run away with it yeah barring injury i don't really know odds I, I don't know if i said anything it would be meaningful but i will say it's a lot more likely than not that one of dry or mcdavid takes home the hardware they are off and running and you know they're going to be playing together the rest of the way with the way things have been going edmonton needs a win right like a meta win doesn't need to be in an actual hockey game but something good needs to happen over there one of them taking home some hardware would be really nice for the oilers and also convincing mcdavid that he should not bolt at the first opportunity so uh yeah i am all in on dry or mcdavid winning the scoring champion trophy the kucherov trophy i think it's called 
Well, no. What? Oh, right. Okay. Well, it's also called the Art Ross Trophy for those. Oh, uh, right. They don't just name it after the guy who won it last year. <laughs> also, Brian, it's kind of funny how you're saying Edmonton needs a win. You are aware that they're currently leading the Pacific Division <laughs> with 29 points, right? So they're getting wins not only from Drysaddle and McDavid putting up points. They also are literally winning games. Yeah, they do need those wins too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's not much to obviously say fantasy wise for these guys. You're obviously loving yourself if you drafted either of them. Hopefully, I remember actually going into the season, we had a lot of debate of is Connor McDavid actually the guy that you should pick first overall? And a lot of people were saying no, maybe you should pick Kucherov or maybe you should pick you know McKinnon because of different categories. And I remember both of you and I, Brian, said you know what, I would just probably go with McDavid because he has the highest ceiling, and this is the reason why. Though I don't know, maybe some people say now maybe you should pick Leon Drysaddle since he's getting even more points. But yeah, either of these guys totally crushing it. And by the way, Brian, good call telling people to stick with Oscar Clefbaum a couple shows ago. He had a massive 11-game point drought, but now has six assists in his last four games. Obviously a must-own in all formats while on the top power play and getting tons of ice time with these cyborgs in McDavid and Dreisaitl. So good job with that call. And also last week I mentioned James Neal was off the top power play. He got right back on it. He picked up a power play assist Thursday versus Colorado, though that was his only point in three games this week, which is kind of crazy considering how much Edmonton was scoring. Brian, I'm still feeling good about telling people to let go of James Neal, even though he did get right back on that top power play. How about you? Yeah, James Neal is essentially this year's Alex Chieson. And as for Oscar Clefbaum, if I keep saying to hold him, eventually I'm going to be right, right? So I'm so finally glad that that moment has come. I don't want to jinx it. Touch wood. Yeah. And by the way, another guy, Brian, that some would say you have stubbornly held on to this whole time that's finally doing well for you is Zach Parise, who's finally starting to do something. He has six points in his last seven games. And with Parise heating up, Eric Stahl has gone ice cold with no points in his last four games. So is there something going on in Minnesota? Only one of these older players can be successful at a time at this point. And at this point, who's your currently most appealing wild forward to own in fantasy? Is it one of Parise or Stahl? Or, I don't know, like Fiala was doing well for a bit, though apparently he got benched for the end of last game. Uh, Jason Zucker's picked up some points lately. If you had to pick, you get any Minnesota wild forward you want on your roster. Wow, what a prize. Which one would you pick? Three dollar Parisi baby. You know what it is. What it do, baby Parisi. I don't, what am I doing? That's <laughs> awful. That's you're gonna keep that in. I know. Uh, Parisi has put up three or more shots in four of his. I'm so embarrassed by what I just said. All of it. Just, just keep going. You're doing great. I'll just keep rolling. He's uh, so Parisi's now put up three or more shots on goal in four of his last five outings. Compare that to his first 15 games, where he'd only actually done that four times over all of those games. Parisi has also recently seen three of his highest minute games, though they've dropped again his minutes in the last couple games since. So who knows what's happening in Minnesota? I can't pretend to know what's real, what's a mirage, but I still remain faithful to Zach Parisi. But let's shout out Kevin Fiala, who has four goals on his last 13 shots without a real rise in his shot rates or time on ice. So nothing too exciting there. Jason Zucker, you mentioned his eight points in his last nine games, but it's still maddening. Like I can't even be happy about it because the former heavy shooter has just 12 shots in his last nine games and is just collecting apples but hey i'll take it for jason zucker it's better than nothing i think really anyone outside of parisi has entered worth a stream territory in minnesota right like parisi stall jason zucker have the best chance of sticking on your roster i'd love to see fiala transcend streamer status uh, but i'm not sold on him yet i haven't seen quite enough change from the game we've seen from him in the past that has led to him being only a streamer 
Yeah, I mean, I have Eric Stahl in one of my leagues, and Parisi is in free agency. Maybe I would swap, but it's like also a limited ads league, and I just don't think it's worth it, because I think Stahl could very well go on another hot run again. I'm not ready to drop him, so I'm hoping Eric Stahl gets things going next week, but good for you with your Zach Parisi call, and still ownership, one of the few people who still owns him in the Cup. Well, no, a lot of people own him in the Cupful, but at least you're, you're one that always held the faith. Uh, I'm also surprised we're at this point, but I guess I also should just ask you, who's the most appealing wild defenseman to own at this point? Like, going into the season the answer would have been Dumba for sure but he hadn't done much of anything until recently he's finally heating up he has three points in his last four games is that enough to alleviate any worries about him at this point like he and Ryan Suter now both have nine points on the season Jared Spurgeon is actually the one leading the way for wild defenseman with 10 points in 20 games uh, both Suter and Spurgeon have been quiet lately though and Dumba is finally starting to produce so maybe this is actually an easy answer now but it would have been an interesting question last week anyways yeah, it might have been uh, a tougher question to answer. It's nice that Dumba is starting to produce, and that's sort of a function of Minnesota having started scoring goals consistently. They have 20 goals in their last six games. The Wild are shooting 11.5% as a team, so good for them. Dumba's upside of all the defensemen in Minnesota is still the best, but don't disregard Spurgeon and Suter as decent 40-45 point options. It still could give you some relevant production from the back end but Dumba is obviously the guy I want most yeah that makes sense and okay speaking of defensemen heating up lately don't look now but Eric Gustafsson has scored in two straight games so that was going into today and Chicago is playing Buffalo and they're in the third period and Gustafsson is quiet again today he has no points though he's getting I don't know, second power play time he has one shot anyway by anything to Eric Gustafsson starting to get points again he's still been off the top power play both of these goals were scored at even strength but maybe I was wondering maybe these Gustafsson goals could be a sign that maybe last year's 60 point Eric Gustafsson Gustafsson isn't dead just yet. Maybe at least part of him is still alive. Like if he's in free agency, is now the time to try to get him back and hope he can keep this going? Or were these goals just a fluke? Like obviously he's not going to get no points all the way through the rest of the season. He happened to get two in two straight games, but overall we're still as down on him as ever as long as he's off the top power play. I mean, Justin Dowling scored goals in two straight, so it doesn't have to mean anything that Gustafsson did the same. When a player's been so bad for so long as Gustafsson has, and he's lost deployment to boot, it's so hard to know when's the right moment to buy back in. Uh, But with Gustafsson, knowing the upside, if he was available to me for free in my league, I'd go ahead and jump on him. Give him a quick two, three game audition if he's available. And ideally, you know, it's a situation where you're not giving up much in doing so like you're just streaming out a guy you would have streamed out anyway Gustafsson still has room to grow because he has a really sad five on five IBP that's bound to triple up from 15% to about 45% he's also seen 20 minutes at five on five in three of his last six games which is I would like to interpret as there being some kind of faith from his coaching staff that they're open to leaning on him at five on five the way that I think they hope to lean on him uh, if he can do things well consistently. So now we just need to see if Gustafsson's power play role can come back. I would love to say I know it will or when it'll be, but I have no freaking clue. I can't see Duncan Keith holding it over Gustafsson all season long. But last season, I said I couldn't see Gustafsson holding it over Duncan Keith all season long. So I don't have a good track record in predicting the Chicago power play quarterback. If I had to guess, Gustafsson should at least get another turn. uh, But it's not something to bet a whole lot on. Yeah, uh, Ben in the chat room was asking, pick up Gustafsson and drop Adam Fox. I don't know. Fox is also... I don't think I would. Fox is also off the top power play now. We'll get to them. We'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, Maybe I would. 
I wish I didn't say anything. I wish I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> the thing is, like, like you said, of course, Justin Dowling also got a couple points over the past week. But the difference is Gustafsson had 60 points last year. So he does have a track record of producing. So he's that's why you get excited when he starts getting points once again. Uh, he's doing nothing today. No, I don't know. I, I would wonder, Ben, if you have someone else you can add. Like, I'm not too excited about him yet, but he's definitely on my watch list. And for sure, if he gets back on the top power play, then I'm all over him. But it's hard to be too excited about a second power play guy on Chicago when they generally load up the top unit. Like, I want the guy playing with Patrick Kane, right? Uh, but since we're on Chicago, it's always fun when we're here to check in on the lines lately. Currently, we've got Kane, Debrinkett, and Strom playing together. And then Taves has been playing with Saad and Nylander. That's Alex Nylander, of course. Patrick Kane is absolutely on fire. 16 points in eight games in no November. That was going into today, and I see that Patrick Kane has just scored a power play goal, so you could just add to that total. He is on fire, one of the top producers in the whole league. He's slowly catching up to the top of the scoring race. Chicago didn't play a lot of games to start the year, so he's still a couple games played behind. Uh, don't look now. Jonathan Taves, eight points in his last eight games going into today as well, and he, I think, also has a point today. Yeah, he has a goal today, so Jonathan Taves, Brian, is he back? Like When we talked about him last, I actually don't remember what you said. Did you say you expected him to bounce back, or did you say that you thought he would continue to underperform? Either way, gotta be time for people to jump back on the Taves train if they're in one of the 41% of Yahoo leagues where he's not owned, right? I'm pretty sure I downgraded Taves somewhat from the 74 points I had projected at the start of the season uh, when we last talked about him because there were some drops in his numbers, but I still figured him to be in the 60, 65 point range with high upside if the deployment and coaching swung back to giving him the sorts of opportunities he had in 1819. That hasn't really happened though. His time on ice is still down on the hole and kind of all over the place, uh, but it's about freaking time that he scored a, it looks like tonight he scored an even strength goal, a five on five goal. That makes it his first of the season going into tonight. He had no goals on 27 shots at five on five. And that just wasn't fair to him as has been a lot of the season. It's been an unfair season for Jonathan Taves. I'm absolutely back on board, still not with upside to match last year's numbers, but hey, uh, he's still a super valuable player. So if he was somehow dropped and has somehow been left in free agency while on this run, uh, why don't you go out and get him right now? And by the way, now that Taves has scored his fourth of the season, he now has just one less goal than Kirby Doc, who scored two tonight. He now has five goals on the season, just like that. Look at it. He's going to be something, this Kirby Doc. But for right now, definitely give me Jonathan Taves. Another guy who we have to look at again is Brandon Saad, who's finally back in the top six. If you recall, most of last season, he couldn't even hang there. But he's playing with Taves, and he had six points in six games coming into today. And he has another assist today. Another player that Dave Benton called on the stream scheme last week. So, yeah, uh, he called it, and Saad is doing great. And Brian, at this point, perhaps... Saad could be more than just a streamer. Maybe he's someone you hold on to in deeper leagues while he's in the top six and producing. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. Like, I think Brandon Saad's a 50-point streamer. I see the outlook being about similar to last year, right? Where he was useful in spurts, not useful in others. Okay, and I'll just mention one more, Hawk. Uh, Calvin DeHaan is a guy who is really good for peripherals, at least he has been lately, and he also had three points in four games going into today with over three blocks in each of those games. Those three points are like three quarters of his total season production, but hard to ignore is 57 hits and 44 blocks. Last week, we talked about Radim Shimek uh, on San Jose. His peripherals have kind of dried up. He's been getting lower minutes. So if you're the type that was into Shimek last week, I feel like now you drop him and grab Calvin DeHaan if you can, who's going to have much much more reliable peripheral production over the rest of the season. 
Don was a big peripherals guy when he played for the Islanders, and then he did less hitting and shot blocking when he moved to Carolina, but he's back at it in Chicago, which is great. Dahan is actually on track for career highs in blocks and hits, thanks to reclaiming some minutes he'd lost in the last couple years, and also having higher rates for either hits and blocks per 60 minutes so far this year. And the credit for that is undoubtedly due to Chicago being a pretty weak team defensively. They spend a lot of time chasing the puck, so a defenseman who uses his body in response to that can really collect on that team, and that's why Dahan is a very valuable Bangers format guy to own. Yeah, I guess it was kind of like Nikita Zaitsev over in Ottawa, right? Like, if the team's going to be letting in a lot of shots, you have good opportunities for blocks. Uh, though, in fact, if you want to make a play on a peripherals defenseman, Brian, who would you prefer between Calvin DeHaan and Eric Cernak over in Tampa, who hasn't put up any points for the Lightning lately, but has been contributing across the rest of the stat sheet? 20 shots, 14 hits, and 8 blocks over his last five games. Gotta imagine some of these shots should be expected to start going in soon, right? Give him at least a goal. 20 shots in his last five games? Come on, no, no puck luck. It's really nice to get from Cernak these shots all of a sudden, but also very uncharacteristic. Just 15 shots for Cernak over his first 11 games of the season, which is about in line with his average of fewer than two shots per game as a rookie last year. So these five uh, games where he said 20 shots on goal, they're really nice, but don't count on them or lean on them. Uh, they're not going to last the peripherals. On the other hand, you can count on them. Cernak is also a very valuable Bangers League roster piece. Yeah, especially for hits. He's like above average for blocks, but like especially great for hits for sure. And since we're on Tampa, kind of like Chicago, it's always a fun team to check in on the lines since they change so consistently. And there's so many star players that you want to find out who's playing with them. In the 4-3 loss to the Jets yesterday, Tampa was rolling Stamkos with Palat and a guy named Carter Verhaeg. And then Kucherov and Point were playing with Tyler Johnson. Then you had uh, Gourd, Maroon, and Paquette. And then Kaloran, Matthew Joseph, and Anthony Sorelli rounding out the lineup. Somehow, even from the bottom six, uh, two standouts lately have been Yanni Gourd and Alex Killorn. They both have seven and six points, respectively, in their last five games. Meanwhile, the guys you'd expect to produce from their spots, Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat, have been relatively quiet. So, Brian, what's your take on these lower-end Tampa guys at this point? Like, Lewis, again, asked another question. Lewis from the Short Shifts podcast on our very network. He asked specifically if Gourd is unsustainable. He said, on a scale of one to Pajot, how unsustainable is this for Yanni Gourd's production? Are we at our usual place where none of these guys are worth owning long term? And if you want to stream, you might as well just flip a coin. Like, I feel like I'd always want to just err on the side of picking the guy playing with Kucherov, though that would not have worked out in the past week. You would have been better going with the guy playing with Matthew Joseph or Anthony Sorelli. Yeah, exactly. It's really frustrating to see these Tampa forwards somehow being in the top six never guarantees these guys anything. And the cherry on top of that disappointment is that somehow the guys on the third line not playing with the Stamkoses and Kucherovs and points of the world, they end up going on these tears when the top six complimentary performers are shut out. Uh, Tampa has the weirdest streamers, hard guys to really ever know what to do with because it is totally a shot in the dark anytime you try someone like Yanni Gord, for example. Uh, what he's done in the last little while, fantastic, but it's come because he has four goals on his last 10 shots while still playing only 11 to 13 minutes. Gord has also gone without a shot at all in six of his 17 games this year. So more than a third of his games played has not even put a puck on 
net. What he's done so far is unsustainable, which is just so frustrating. I just wish there was any predictable pattern between these Tampa Bay secondary scorers. Yeah, I'll go say if you want to stream a Tampa Bay guy, I'll say Tyler Johnson because he's playing with Kucherov and Point, And I'm just going to keep it simple, even though he hasn't been producing lately. Maybe some people would say that means he's due. So that's going to be my pick. Uh, Let's switch to a couple of interesting goalie situations now. I wanted to start in Detroit, where it appears that Jonathan Bernier has, at least temporarily, overtaken Jimmy Howard as the starting goalie. Bernier actually played in four straight games and won three of them before Howard finally got back in the net yesterday to lay an egg, stopping only 16 of 19 shots in the 4-3 shootout loss to San Jose. Bernier's numbers are definitely not especially great, as he's sporting an 892 save percentage on the season, similar to what he's done even during this recent stretch, but that's still better than Jimmy Howard's 884 save percentage. So at this point, in leagues where all starting goalies are owned, like one of these leagues where you want to have a goalie that's playing a lot of games, is it safe to drop Jimmy Howard, and should people be looking at Jonathan Bernier? Of course, he's far from a sure thing, but hey, Detroit actually has some decent-looking matchups next week. They play Ottawa, Columbus, New Jersey, and Carolina on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So Aside from that Carolina game, I'd expect Bernier to pick up at least one win, right? Maybe two wins next week? So maybe a good guy to stream in and see if he could keep up his winning ways. Well, remember, Detroit is going hard on the tank this year. I don't think they're quite in it to win it. So hoping for two wins a week is always a dicey proposition. Detroit's defense is bad, right? Only the Rangers have allowed more expected goals this season at all strengths than the Red Wings have. And Detroit ranks uh, 26th and expected goals against rates at all strengths. So you can't expect good performances from Howard or Bernier on any kind of regular basis. I feel like Robin Lehner could crush it in Detroit, but like that might be it. So if you're looking for saves, it's good to recognize that the Red Wings crease may be a timeshare in the near future. But if there's one guy who could step up and exceed expectations and take control of the net again and survive this onslaught of shots against uh, between Howard and Bernier, I'd still think it would be Howard. So uh, if you're looking at Bernier, you're looking very short term. You hate Jonathan Bernier so much. You're like, I guess maybe you have to accept the fact that it might be a timeshare now. When I just said that Bernier's played four games in a row before Howard finally played. Doesn't seem like a timeshare to me, Brian. Seems like Bernier's That's the just starter. They just want Howard to have a break. It's a reset period. Yeah, okay. And like Bernier blew it. He was awful. He won three of four games. He wasn't awful. Okay, how much? Like you don't measure a goalie's performance by their wins. Like what were his save? Read me his save percentages from those three. Okay. They weren't great save percentages, but uh, better than what Jimmy Howard has been doing, right? So Barely. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm in love with Jonathan Bernier. I'm just saying He's an 892 on the season. And what's Jimmy Howard? Uh, I think a little lower. Yeah, I, that, yeah. All I'm saying is that I think Bernier is the starter right now for the foreseeable future. It doesn't seem like a timeshare right now. I'm not disagreeing no. with you that Howard might overtake it, but I'm just saying facts. Right? <laughs> I'm not coming up with like theories here. I'm just looking at the fact that Bernier has played a lot more games than Howard. That's just what's happening. That's the reality. I'm sorry. Bernier has 13 appearances this year. He's been above a 903, I think, four times. And Howard? Okay, well, like, I'm not... (laughs) I get it. Okay. It's just when you're saying, I think a goalie has to actually play well to get to be considered the starter, not just, like, less awful. Like, if Bernier's game does not steady out, then they're just going to keep looking to Howard to give him more chances, right? 
You would think so, except they haven't yet. <laughs> anyway, fine. So we could agree or disagree. I'm just telling people, our valued listeners, that if you want a Detroit goalie who's going to play games, right now it's Jonathan Bernier. Uh, obviously, Brian thinks that Detroit's making a mistake, but that is the case. Okay, then we have Vancouver, where things have totally gone south since I proposed that they may have one of the best tandems in the league a couple shows ago. So hashtag Agab, right? All goalies are bad. Average time on ice. Jade has thrown that out, and I'm starting to agree with it, because whenever you think a goalie is great, they totally let you down. In November, Jacob Markstrom has started to look human again, a 9-12 save percentage over the five starts he's gotten, and this has led to Thatcher Demko getting the increased workload that I predicted he'd get at some point, but he's totally blown it. He has an 8-92 save percentage over his last four games, including a disappointing five-goal-against game yesterday. One of them was in overtime on 23 shots in the 5-4 loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Somehow he got outplayed by, I think, the Avalanche's fourth stringer, Antoine Bebo, who only stopped 28 of 32 himself. So knowing that goalies are the most unpredictable animals in the world, as evidenced, by the way, by Anders Nilsson's game log recently, where he has been gold aside from a four goals against blow up the day after we brought him up on the show, which really bugged me. And then he followed that up with a great game probably after everyone dropped him. So goalies just anyway, Brian, do you have any advice to (laughs) impart regarding the goalie situation in Vancouver? Like do you just hold Markstrom and leave Demko in free agency in most formats or like I the, like it is interesting that Demko's been getting more starts and that Markstrom hasn't been as good. But like I said, Demko's been struggling, so I don't really know what to make of this. You know, we did take the time to lavish praise or to heap praise on the Vancouver offense a couple weeks ago, calling them very much for real. And we were so enamored with their offense that we didn't take the time to talk about their defensive performance so far, uh, which actually might be a good thing because it would have been boring content. It's really very average Vancouver's defensive performance. So what can I really say about goalies struggling to put up numbers in a small stretch that you don't already know? I guess I should mention that the Vancouver penalty kill has been especially bad recently, which could be contributing to their goalies struggle goals. The Canucks have killed just 10 of their last 15 shorthanded situations. I still think it's Markstrom's net, but if Demko turns it around first, right? They're both struggling, but Demko turns in the first good start, he could certainly snag a few more starts in the short term. Whatever you've already decided to do with your Vancouver goalies, though, I'd probably just keep doing that, despite their recent failures. Assume everything is normal. The only action I might take would be to, yeah, grab Demko as a speculative ad, just in case he finds his game while Markstrom continues to falter because the door the door is open right yeah I mean that's the thing it feels so weird to be recommending to add Demko when he's like on the worst stretch of the year and he's doing terribly but again Agab all goalies are bad so if he's doing badly that probably means he's going to do good soon because everything is backwards with goalies so you're probably right Brian and now's the perfect time to grab Thatcher Demko after he had a terrible game just like how Andres Nilsson would have been the perfect guy to grab after his terrible game last Monday okay one more goalies Carter Hutton's season coming to an end after the hot start that he had in Buffalo he's been brutal in his last couple of games he led in five goals versus Tampa and the Canes I wrote maybe he'll have better luck tonight against the Blackhawks he did not he's let in four goals on uh 26 shots so far so another bad game for carter hutton uh yeah so what do we do are we done like maybe now it's going to be flipping back and forth between him and linus allmark moving forward same as last basically i feel like now it looks like exactly like last year in buffalo 
Yeah, exactly. It's time to do the thing where you go get Linus Allmark just in case he can come in and put up numbers, which has only ever led to disappointment for the people who've tried that. Also, it's only been two really bad starts in a row from Carter Hyde, and I wouldn't necessarily put him in ill standing in Buffalo. Uh, maybe just needs to take a game off to recompose. Elon, sorry, did you mention if he's in Nets tonight? Yeah, I did, and I said that it was a third bad game. So it's three bad yeah, games okay. in a row now. Yeah, there you go. Not great. So Allmark gets the next start, go get him, he'll probably blow it, and then they'll go back to Hutton. Yeah, so again, all goalies are bad, hard to predict. Uh, I'm happy to have Thomas Grice in, like, three of my leagues, and I just hope that he could stay good. I'm probably jinxing it by even bringing him up. Darcy Kemper continues to be good. He's, like, the one goal you could depend on in this world. Uh, also, since we're on Buffalo, way to go. Like I said, Victor Olafson, he picked things right back up after I dropped him in the cuckupful. He's riding a four-game point streak going into today. Uh, he got in on Jack Eichel's four goals yesterday. He got in on one of them, and, like, he's still on the top line of power play. So uh, maybe I shouldn't have dropped him in the cuckupful because playing with Jack Eichel is clearly a very good thing. Eichel, by the way, another goal today. So he's just on fire right now. Like Jack Eichel, one of the top guys in the league. Not big news here. Uh, so probably I made a mistake. Like I said, Brian, are you still feeling good about trading Olafson for Timo Meyer in the league where you sort of like sold high on Olafson? Yeah, I am actually. I think dropping him outright like you did, that would have been a mistake. But I understand why you did it. Uh, we didn't know exactly where things were going to go for Olofsson. I guess you were desperate in a matchup. But Olofsson, as you said, still gets to play with Eichel and Reinhardt night in, night out. Uh, still on top power play. So it's hard to ever give up on a top line, top power play guy altogether. It's not like you, Elon. So I'm actually curious to know how you feel. Like, do you regret it? Uh, like, I'm happy to have traded him for Timo Meyer. Uh, Olofsson was dry and you just didn't know how much rope he had left to stay on the top line, top power play. And Meyer, I don't really have to worry about it. I kind of know his worst case scenario. So, uh, yeah. How do you feel about dropping Olofsson? And I'm going to put it back to you. Who would you take rest of season between Timo Meyer and Victor Olofsson? Well, first of all, I already said that I regret it, so you don't need to rub it in. Okay, also, sorry. you're kind of changing history a little bit. He At the time that I dropped him, he had been bumped from the top line, and Marcus Johansson was taking regular turns on the top power play. So I wasn't thinking of him as someone who was going to take regular turns with Eichel. That's what I said in the Kyle Palmieri section, <laughs> that you drop someone because you think they've lost their good deployment. It's always possible they get it back. There was one single game where Olofsson was off the top line, though. It, yeah. I guess you had just seen him go quiet for so long that after that one game, it's just like, oh, like, this is the demotion. Yeah, and also Buffalo wasn't playing. That was like before they went to their trip to Sweden, so they weren't playing again for a bunch of days. So like, I'm really going to hold this guy who's slumping and he's not even guaranteed top line deployment. Okay, I made a mistake. You know what? I'm still winning my matchup, Brian. I- I'm going to be 4-2 and two after this week, so... You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I want to spread the wealth with the rest of my league mates, okay? Uh, so I hate to do this. Let me throw this, something back on you now. Derek Broussard, Brian, keeps on producing. So I'm going to have to keep bringing him up every single week until you either uh, tell people, yeah, go add Derek Broussard. Or, you know, every time you keep downplaying him, I'm going to have to keep bringing him up when he produces. And last week, like I said, no different. One goal and two assists versus the Leafs. And he had a two assist effort versus Philly yesterday. What's your current take on Derek Brassard? Are you still like not much ado about Brassard? Or are you ready to tell people that they need to start getting on board? You got to imagine if he has one more good week, his percentage ownerships will start to spike. He's still available pretty much all over. Only 5% owned on Yahoo, 17% owned in the Cupful, which is our 18 
League, uh, multi-league, I guess, the Keeping Calls Ultimate Patreon Fantasy League. And thanks so much to Marcus for compiling these statistics, by the way. Every time I say a couple percentage ownership, I think that's so much more valuable than Yahoo percentage owned, just because, you know, who knows what all these clown leagues on Yahoo. You know the Kukupful is the real deal. But still, even in a real deal Kukupful, only 70% of the leagues have Derek Broussard owned. He's now up to 13 points in 18 games. Do you think he can keep it up? No. I don't. I'm not changing my take about Derek Broussard, aside from saying that you may as well, like, you could add him while the points are coming. Just be warned they can stop any minute. I think Broussard's upside, I'm talking upside, so like the most you could hope for, not what's likely to happen, is probably Brock Nelson territory, so 50-55 points. And his downside is like Beauvillier last year, which was 30-35 point territory. But actually, speaking of Beauvillier, is he the real story here? Four goals on his last 10 shots in his last two games. That's amazing. Five shots in each of his last two games. He scored four times on those. Beauvillier is also averaging almost 19 minutes a night over the last four games, including a 20-minute outing, which is a big step up from the 14 and a half minutes Beauvillier had averaged last year, and even the 17 minutes he'd been averaging before this little stretch. Beauvillier is now up to 19 shots in his last six games, and has also made a couple recent appearances on the top power play unit. So if I'm going to take a chance on any Islander, I think it might be him rather than Derek Broussard. Sure. Okay. I mean, you know, I want to just like tease a little more, but like Broussard's still available in a lot of my leagues and I haven't added him. So it's not as if I could rub it in too much, but it is always fun when you keep telling people to not add him and then he keeps doing well. Hopefully some people didn't listen to you and just heard the fact that I said his name and that was enough to make them add him. And then at least they took advantage. Uh, but yeah, I, I would probably grab Broussard right now. Maybe even Beauvillier while they're doing well. I don't know. There's just something about Broussard to me. This is like, I'm actually having a Brian moment here because I'm thinking back to when Broussard used to be good and then thinking, oh, maybe he's good again, which is generally something that you tend to do when you don't want to give up on these older players but right now you've like seems like you've totally given up on him and even now that he's producing you want to see even more and you're not alone because like i said he's only five percent owned in yahoo and 17 percent in the cupful so fair we'll check back in next week on what's going on on that second line in long island then on the other side of the spectrum of former ottawa senators how about a guy who should be producing but has gone totally cold lately in mark stone Stone started the season looking like a superstar, but he's gone full-on quiet place with Jim from the office. He's pointless in his last six games. I can't hear a thing. What's going on with Mark Stone, Brian? And the Golden Knights in general, by the way. Like, things have gotten so bad. They shuffled their lines. They now have Mark Stone playing with Marcia So and Cody Eakin, and then Riley Smith with Pacioretty and William Carlson, and then Stasny on the third line with Tuck and Glass. Not enough yesterday. They lost to the Kings for their fifth straight loss. They're playing Calgary today, and they're winning for nothing. So that's good. So maybe they're starting to turn it around, and always fun when you have a game going while we're recording, so I guess I gotta check in on Mark Stone. No points! Again! Ah, but five shots. So that's good. So Brian, what's going on with Mark Stone? Is it just a matter of time before he picks it up and now is a clear buy low time or is there actually something wrong? No, it's a great buy low time for Mark Stone. Uh, He's playing almost 20 minutes a night in Vegas this year, which is an upgrade. Like that's what he's playing in Ottawa. Then he went to Vegas. He played 17 and a half minutes a night. Those were his regular season numbers there anyway. uh, You know, it's just a cold stretch and I wouldn't buy too much into any of it lasting Vegas, as you were mentioning, as a team has not been doing so hot. Uh, Coming into tonight, they'd scored two goals, one goal, two goals, two goals, and they had three in each of their last two, which is great. Now they have, uh, they're up to three, four now tonight. Uh, Unfortunately, Stone is not getting in on them, but he will 
Okay, it's just a matter of time. Fantastic buy low opportunity. Also, uh, we should shout out Paul Stasny for getting off his schneid. Uh, he has uh, scored his sixth of the season tonight. And also, Elon, anyone who took our advice last week to buy low on Shea Theodore, uh, enjoying life right now. Shea Theodore has now uh, three points in his last four games. So that's a really nice start uh, and a very deserved uh, comeuppance for Shea Theodore. Way to go, Shea. I don't know if that's the, how you use that <laughs> word, but sure. And another assist today, which is great. Nate Schmidt, three assists today. So, But again, I don't know how much you want to read into a game where uh, Calgary's playing their backup Cam Talbot, who I definitely was wrong about going into the year thinking that he was going to challenge. So we, let's just stop talking about this game overall. Uh, by the way, uh, great job again to Ben and Lewis on their short shifts episodes. I feel like they've fully covered the Krug and Crosby injuries and their implications. So probably even not much more to say here, but I guess two points I'll make on these situations are as followed. First of all, Malkin is on fire with Crosby out, and I feel like you definitely want his line mates at even strength on the power play, and currently Brian Rust is both of those things. Rust had three points versus Toronto yesterday, 10 points in nine games now on the season, so if Brian Rust is still in free agency, you want him. Uh, so that's the one point I wanted to make. And then on the Krug injury, uh, Charlie McAvoy finally started to show signs of life with three hits and seven blocks on Friday versus Toronto. And then actually got in on some offense yesterday, two assists versus Washington. He's still off the top power play, but it's not like Matt Grizzlick has been doing much with it. I overspent to get McAvoy in the cacuffle this week because I was hoping that he would be the one getting on the top power play. But I think I still would prefer to have him over Grizzlick right now, though. Brian, is it possible that the defenseman you should want most on Boston right now is the 42-year-old Zdeno Chara? Chara has three points in his last four games. He's putting up a modest number of shots, hits, and blocks lately. So who are you most interested in of these three defensemen on Boston for a short-term stream while Tori Krug is out. Man, uh, it's really hard to say. I can't say I believe much in either one of them. Zeno Chara, by the way, 42 years old. Uh, his last four games, he's seen 23 minutes twice, 24 minutes once, 20 minutes the other night. Uh, his minutes have increased a little since Krug has been out, but he was playing like this much earlier in the season too. Charlie McAvoy's minutes have definitely gone up since Krug's injury, uh, but also he hasn't done a whole lot with it. Even in the peripherals department, Elon, you got excited about that game that he had recently where he had the three hits and seven blocks. The game before that, he played 23 minutes, had nothing across the board. He had a single shot and he took a penalty. That's all he offered his fantasy owners. And then Grizzlick is just someone who, yeah, even in that top power play spot, is not someone I'm getting excited about. Like, you could, he sort of is, is like the defense version in Boston of Danton Heinen, who it's like, oh, great. If he gets up playing with some really high quality players, uh, that's so exciting. Maybe he'll get a point on every nine goals they score. So to answer your question, I would probably look anywhere else than these three guys, uh, but I would choose McAvoy first, Chara second, Grizzlick third. Wow. I mean, it's kind of crazy to say look elsewhere when we're talking about the top power play with Pasternak and Marshawn. Unfortunately, uh, Bergeron's injured, hopefully not for long. But yeah, that's the way it looks 
probably I would want the guy on the top power play. Like, so I, even though I'm not planning on dropping McAvoy just because there's also a moves limit in Kakuffle, only four per week. But like for a single game, while Grizzlick is there, I'd probably take him on the top power play. But yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I really thought McAvoy would run away with this thing at some point. Krug is a free agent at the end of the year, and it's, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, I thought McAvoy is going to be the future. Who knows? Maybe they'll just resign Tori Krug, though. As Patty's saying in the chat, maybe Krug is uh, Chris Letang also, and he's like kind of too injury prone to rely on for a full season. Uh, okay, so a couple other interesting line situations. Oh, by the way, Brian, we totally anti-jinxed uh, Mark Stone, and he scored a goal. So there you go. Uh, cool Whoa. streak over. You, Brian, you nailed it. So people who are like, oh, yeah, they're cheating. Brian said he'll be fine because he saw the goal. No, the goal happened after he said it. And that's the sound of that buy low window slamming shut. Oh, well, you guys lost your chance. Should have uh, known to do that before we even recorded the show. Okay, a couple other interesting line situations I want to bring up. Barclay Goudreau has found at least a temporary home on a line with Hurdle and Meyer in San Jose. Eh? Like, nothing yesterday versus Detroit, but he's got seven points over his last eight games to go along with 16 hits. So, Brian, my question to you is, who is Barclay Goudreau? Like, who is this person? Why is he in the top? Like, how is he sticking on this line? And should he get on people's radars for as long as he sticks with Tomash Hurdle, who we just talked about last week as someone who we think is for real as a potential point-per-game guy? Don't you want to have the guy playing with him who's also producing in Barclay frickin' Goudreau? You bet I want Barclay frickin' Goudreau on my team for as long as he's up there. We were wondering... All of preseason, all of the first like month of the season, who is going to stick with Tomas Hurdle? Who's going to be able to play right wing on a top six line in San Jose? And apparently, at least for the moment, it's Goudreau. I don't know that this is something that lasts the whole season. He's not exactly a guy with much of a pedigree undrafted 26 years old he's played 227 nhl games has 56 points in them 17 of those came last year uh so he's not really someone you want to count on a whole lot for offense i guess he's getting a turn here in a complimentary role which will be uh, nice to see if he can do anything with uh, and he's a short-term stream for sure someone i'm not going to give up a whole lot and be like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i need this guy in san jose's top six he's someone like i want him while he's there um like probably a less great version of brian rust who are you adding barkley goudreau or Derek brassard for next week oh <laughs> oh that's that kills me uh i'll go goudreau yeah, I mean, it's hard when he's playing, because, like, Broussard, again, is second line, but he's producing like crazy, but Goudreau's also producing, and he's playing with Hurdle and Meyer. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, let's go to New York. Adam Fox, oh, we already mentioned this, but, yeah, to put a stamp on it, Fox was seeing top power play time on the Rangers, but DQ went back to Tony D'Angelo yesterday, who scored an even-strength goal, his seven point in his last seven games, 15th point in 18 games on the season, and I'm talking about Tony D'Angelo here, not Adam Fox. So, step one, and I know uh, we've already said this before, but go Get Anthony D'Angelo if you can. He's now 100% owned in the Cupful, but only 43% owned on Yahoo. He should be owned in your league. Like you, the listener, if Anthony D'Angelo is in your free agency, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson, and we'll suggest who you need to drop for him because he should be owned if he's on the top power play and producing like this. And step two, I'm okay with streaming Fox out if you added him for his nice uh, little run and good deployment. And Brian, are you with me on that? I am with you on that. And let's end on a Brian Com favorite that we've been getting a lot of questions about lately in Jacob Voracek. We got a question earlier this week from at Adrian Basantes3 on Twitter. He asked, Jacob Voracek, drop candidate at this point? And I answered saying, oh, that's a good one. Let's give him one more week. I'll put him down for the next show if he's still slumping. I think he's earned a decent amount of rope, you know? And then we waited this week. And in this past week, 
one assist in three games. Not great. Only two assists in his last seven games, down to a 53-point pace on the season. The Flyers have been shuffling their lines a lot lately, and that's likely to continue after the implosion versus the Islanders on Saturday, where they were winning for most of the games and then blew it. He was most recently on a line with James Van Riemsdyk and Kevin Hayes, though still on the top power play, so not the best deployment for Voracek. You want to see him with Giroux or Couturier. Uh, but still not the worst to be playing with JVR and Hayes, of course. But the big concern is this cold streak. So, Brian, what are you expecting from Voracek moving forward? Is he now in Jamie Ben territory where the upside is still there, but he's not someone to be banking on for consistent production moving forward? The thing that I can really find about Voracek is that he's lost two minutes of ice time per night at five on five. And I feel like that's it? I mean, yes, we've met, you mentioned the blender of line mates that's happening, and I don't think that's helpful to him. But other flyers seem to be surviving it better than he has. I'm looking through his numbers, Elon, and I can't say I really noticed anything that looks so far off compared to previous years. His expected goals rates are a little down. His shots per 60 are a little down, too. But not in a way that would tank his numbers uh, from being last year he was a 69 point player over 82 games the year before an 85 point player 53 points just seems too low to me even though there's no real uh unfair stuff going his way and maybe this really is just a function of him playing two fewer minutes per night night in night out so i guess you could be a little worried about jacob Voracek and maybe consider him a 55 60 point player instead of a 60 65 point player i'm gonna actually i didn't do this before the show what did we project for him on our almanac oh boy did i say 79 points oh boy oh yikes you said 82 oh no (laughs) well yeah and it's like a chicken and egg thing right like you're saying oh is he not producing because he's getting two minutes less per game but maybe he's getting two minutes less per game because he's not playing as well and he's older and at some point players start to fall off and maybe this is starting to happen to Jacob Voracek right and that's what's going to happen you're going to start playing worse in practice or in games and the coach is going to start reducing your deployment and that's why he's not playing on the Giroux line right so I don't know Uh, I guess to answer Adrian Vasante 3's question depending on your league he might be a drop candidate because Brian is saying he's maybe closer to a 55 what did you land at like a 55 point guy moving forward for Voracek yeah yeah I'll go like I still think he has the upside for 65 but he doesn't seem to be getting into those sorts of positions so I'm gonna have to downgrade him for sure yeah okay so in a shallower league uh just uh, maybe you need to let go of Voracek and to anyone who listened to the almanac and drafted him super high like we apologize and we'll try our best to learn our lesson and figure out what we got wrong and do better next year we got a lot of things right also but obviously we have to be honest and tell you guys about our mistakes so Brian that is it another really fun show thank you so much to everyone for listening by the way thank you so much to everyone who took us up on our request to leave us some five star reviews on iTunes we got some really nice ones we did say that if you ask us an advice question on iTunes, which I guess isn't called iTunes, sorry, I'm an old man, Apple Podcasts, uh, we said if you ask us an advice question in your five-star review, then we'll read it on the show. Uh, people were just saying nice things to us, and no one actually left a question. But the offer is still out there. If you want to leave us a five-star review we'll, with a question, we'll be happy to answer it on the show. But yeah, thank you so much to Lumbats and mick windig and connor the personal trainer who all left us very nice five-star reviews one that i thought was really funny was uh from mick windig i've heard a lot of people not liking their voices personally i enjoy the bitter sting of sass that has lended to brian's voice as he displays his powers of extreme mental prowess over the livelier and more optimistic elon 
I've never been considered to have extreme mental prowess, but I appreciate it. And thank you to anyone. Like we saw there were other five-star reviews, but if you write one down, then we get to see your name. So type something out. Give us a five-star written review. Right. Okay. So we really appreciate that. Of course, also, you can subscribe to the podcast because not only are you getting our Sunday episodes of Keeping Carlson, but hopefully you've been enjoying for this first week and it's going to continue for the rest of the season, getting the short shift episodes with Ben and Lewis every Wednesday and Friday morning. They did such a great job. and I think they're just going to keep getting better. So if you're somehow only listening to the Sunday shows and not the shorter Wednesday, Friday shows, you're missing out. At least check it out, right? They're really good. And like we said, we've got a bit of a network going here, Brian, because we've got Dave Betton Street scheme which you said you can get at keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme or check the show notes for the link that is your 20 minute show dropped on sunday early afternoons to tell you who should be streaming in for the next week depending on the schedule and even more the patrons of keeping carlson got the first episode of marcus's stat attack podcast the first ever that i've heard of podcast for a fantasy league and it was so good it was such a fun episode because marcus interviewed kakuffle participant and current kakuffle like leader in points Tom and he interviewed him and asked him all about what are his methods for success and get some tips and tricks and then he also dropped a bunch of fun stats about the league like it was just such a great show and I feel like it's even good for people who aren't in the cacuffle if you're a patron uh, and you thought like I might as well not listen to this because I'm not in the cacuffle check it out it was a really great show so yeah I'll, Brian I've been talking for a while now I just wanted to drop all of these great things why, why don't you say some stuff and then we'll close this out no all I'm gonna say is this podcast from Marcus Callanan is outstanding i it's amazing that the cacuffle has its own podcast perhaps one day we will share it out maybe not in the in the not too distant future we will share it with all keeping carlson listeners uh, but for now it's a real nice perk uh, for cacuffle players to have a podcast like media coverage of their own Fantasy League that they're participating in with 250 other people. What a world. Yeah, thanks so much for doing that, Marcus. And if you're in the cacuffle and you want to be on his show, he's going to interview a different participant every week. But all that to say, now is a great time to become a patron of Keeping Carlson because the perks just keep on increasing. For only $5 a month, Brian, we've got to increase this at some point. But for now, people can get in on this for $5 a month. You get in the Facebook group. You get our monthly patron cast. Ben and Jade did a patron streaming advice question taking on Saturday, which was so awesome. That's going to be continuing every week with some combination of the average time on ice people and then Brian and myself. Uh, so you've got that. You've got the show notes. You've got like this cacuffle podcast now. It's everything. So keep Carlson. Plus, you get the nice feeling of knowing you're supporting this podcast, which you must like at least a little bit if you made it, you know, almost two hours in today. So that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh, to get all the information there. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Nick, Craig, and Brian imposter welcome aboard this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen pool dauber prospects oh brian was in the chat tonight that's nice a uh, natural stat trick the live chat that all patrons can have access to evolving hockey cap friendly charting hockey hockeygoalies.org which is a very funny bare bones like 1999 website hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects roto world and yahoo Great job, as always. Brian, and yeah, another perk of being a patron is you get to watch these live shows. I forgot about that. We stream to the Facebook group. Okay, great job, as always. We will talk to you all next Sunday, but you'll be getting your next episode of Keeping Carlson on Wednesday for the next short shift. Bye-bye. Well, how can I say a tagline after you say bye-bye? Sorry, okay, pretend I didn't say it. Do your tagline. Very definitive. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.
Bye, bye. <laughs>